0: 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we will read beginning at verse 14. We will go to verse 17, not 18. This is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil. But always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we come to you now in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the strength and the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this morning that you would give to us grace, that you would help us, Lord, to hear your word. Therefore, give us ears. Pray that we would understand your word, Lord. Therefore, open our minds. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to believe and act upon your word, Lord. So soften our hearts this morning to your word, we pray. Be glorified for Christ's sake. I decrease that you may increase. In your name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I, I greet you again this morning in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath as we continue our short series, the Encouragements While We Wait. This, is, I believe I believe, is part eight of this so-called short series. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16. I'll read it again. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We come this morning, brothers and sisters, to these most compelling commands from the Apostle Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You will remember that these are not suggestions that the Apostle is giving to his church. They are they are commands. They appear almost to be, especially in these verses, they appear to be almost sporadic. As if the apostle was throwing out these commands as they came to his mind, but with no real connection to what he has already said. It, it's almost as if he's saying, oh, yes, uh, and pray always. Uh, uh, oh, yes, and and." and Rejoice always. Oh, and and one more thing. Always give thanks in everything. These commands are not sporadic. Uh, These commands, they are intentional. The placement of these commands are also not random. The placement of these commands, they are perfectly positioned. While we wait... For the blessed return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we are to build one another up, edify one another in the church, just as you were doing, Paul says. In the church, while you and I wait for Christ, we are to very highly esteem the elders that have been gifted to you. Your elders are a gift, as they shepherd you in the Lord. While we wait, we are to live in peace, with one another, There will be times when fellow pilgrims are unruly, when they are faint-hearted, when they are weak. Not if, but when these matters arise, we are to admonish, we are to encourage, and we are to help everyone in the church. We have a common faith, we have a common Lord, we have a common baptism, a common adoption, a common hope so love one another we are brothers and sisters in christ aren't we love one another while we wait for christ to return love one another Uh, it's been said to me in a few of the sermons that i've done one thing that you forgot to mention is that you have to be here to obey these commands You can't help the unruly or help the weak if you're not here to help them. You can't admonish the unruly if you're not here to admonish. You can't encourage if you're not here. Therefore, there's a disobedience in your lack of attendance as well. That's a side sermon, which will get to you in about three or four weeks when we talk about the Sabbath. Uh, Evidence of your love is also that you will not repay evil for evil. Not periodically, but always seek to do good for one another. It's the sum and substance of the law. Love God and love your neighbor. You have been created to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. What we are seeing throughout this letter is, I hope that you've been able to see, it's found throughout the epistles, it is this extension, if you can imagine in your mind's eye, uh, of God's grace to His created creatures, to His creation, by and through the Son and by and through the Spirit, God is extending His grace to His people. Uh, go to First Thessalonians chapter one and verse two, just so that you can see what I'm speaking about here. We give thanks, Paul says, to God always for all of you. This is this is praying at all times, making mention of you in our prayers constantly bearing in mind your work of labor and love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of God the Father listen to what he says knowing brethren beloved by God his choice of you you see this there's there's this extension of god's grace to his elect god has been merciful to the undeserved sinners you and i who have received grace it is the work of taking heart in Hearts, stony hearts, replacing them with hearts that now beat for the glory of God. Stones don't beat for the glory of God. Hearts made of flesh and blood, they beat for the glory of God. You and I first had stony hearts. God has replaced them and given to us a heart of flesh that now beats for his glory. And what's the result of God's choice and the work of the spirit? Paul tells us in verse six and seven, the apostle commends... Those who heard and believed for their enduring through tribulation with joy of the Holy Spirit. He says, so that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Acacia. God's extension of grace resulted in a type of communion and fellowship with God that resulted in a type of holy living and faithful witness before believers and the world though they experienced difficulty that difficulty did not destroy their faith it draw them nearer to god rather than further away to god from god their joy did not was not uh, was not crushed it was not squelched and their giving thanks at all times did not stop paul comm- commented on their reports that he had been given about the Thessalonians from the churches of Macedonia and Acacia. He says in verse 9 of chapter 1, For they themselves report to us what kind of reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a true and living God, and to wait, as we are doing, for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. The Lord calls these believers into communion and fellowship with Him. And it has this sanctifying effect on the saints. They receive the message, message of the gospel with joy. They turn from worshiping idols to worshiping God. Anything that blurred their vision from seeing Christ, they turned from it and they waited as you and I wait for the blessed return of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, How can you highly esteem your elders? How can you live in peace with one another? How can you be long-suffering with the unruly, the faint-hearted, and the weak? How can you resist temptation to repay evil, to do good to all at all times? Uh, Dear pilgrims, the answer lies in communion with God. The answer lies in communion with God. This morning, with God's help, we shall spend uh, some time contemplating communion with God. We will not do an exposition of 1 Thessalonians this, this week. We'll do that next week. As I came across these verses, I thought it would be helpful for us to just discuss and to contemplate, if you will, what communion with God even means, because it's a word that we've heard before, hasn't it? We've heard the word communion with God, and and I wonder if we understand what it actually means to have communion with God. So this morning, the first two or three points will be rather rather lengthy, but there will be ten points this morning. Not all ten will be as lengthy as the first three, trust me. So let's deal with these this morning. Number one, communion with God defined. Communion with God defined. And when I say communion with God defined, let me... encourage you as i pray that i'm being encouraged it's a working definition it's not a i believe set in stone definition until we come to the scriptures my understanding of it is a working definition but the scriptures will give us a clear definition of what communion with god means we've heard this word before communion with god how would you define it let me say to you communion with god is not something that is abstract Communion with God is not imaginative. It's not something that we pretend to do, that, but that is not actually happening. When we invite you to come to the table, we're not saying, come, commune and fellowship with Christ. And you say, okay, let me just imagine how I'm communicating or communing with him. Let me just imagine that I'm actually fellowshipping with him. I know he's not actually here, but I'm going to pretend like he's here. No, he's actually here in a real and spiritual manner that you and I can never fully comprehend. But it is a a reality that is taking place. It's almost the same thing with communion with God. It's not substance. uh, It's not something you can you can grab and hold and shape and and fix. It's something that is uh, spiritually taking place between you and God, believers, and then you and God. We've been given a type of description uh, with of communion with God in the introduction. But there are some wonderfully deep definitions of communion with God. I want to give you just one or two. First one is from John Owen. Listen to what he says. Our communion with God consists in his communication, I love this, of himself unto us. God's communication of himself unto us. Listen to this then. With our returnal unto him of that which he requires and accepts. God gives to us, we give to God. What do we give to God? That which he requires and that which he accepts. He accepts that which he requires. Flowing from that union which is in Christ which we have in him. Uh, God does not accept anything that you give to him. You and I don't get to decide what we want to give to God. God decides what we give to God. He, he gives to us the ability to give to him that which he requires, and then he accepts that which we give to him because he's required it of us. But we don't get to give to God whatever we like. We don't get to worship God however we like. We don't get to offer to God anything that we like. We give to God what he requires. John Owen is picking up on what the epistles do. And what is revealed to us through the Holy Scriptures? God communicates grace to us as he reveals himself to us. You know God because God has graciously opened your eyes. If God did not open your eyes, you would not see God. God gives us supernatural theology. Pastor Isaiah has been talking about this, that we might know him. He extends grace to his elect through his Son, by his Spirit we are then given faith by grace to respond to that which he requires, namely repentance, faith, hope, and love. And all of this is possible once again through Christ, working through his word and spirit. God comes to us. Here's a, here's a short one if you want to know. What's a short, concise definition? God comes to us. We live in response to God until we return to God. God comes to us, we live in response to God until we return to God. Over the past few sermons uh, in this series, I've heard the encouraging words. And I know that they are are intended to be encouraging. Uh, These sermons in Thessalonians have been very practical. I've heard it more than once. And again, while I am certain that only good is meant from this encouragement, we can sometimes place practical sermons, so-called practical sermons, on the shelf just below our highly theological sermons. But we must understand they belong on the same shelf. These sermons are, I would like to call them doxological They are, what does that mean? Expressions of of praise. We are calling you to express, to live a life of praise and worship in response to what you know and understand about God. Your lives should be expressions of praise, lived out of a heart love, a heart desire of what God has revealed to you. They are, if you will, heart and mind responses to our triune God and his holy inspired word. But you can't have one without the other. They are inseparable. The man who knows worships. And the man who worships knows. We worship rightly because of what we know. And it is rooted in our love for God who loved us first you see that they, they go hand in hand. They are inseparable. You cannot separate high theology from worship before God, right living. They go hand in hand. They are calling you to a more intimate communion with God. And that is what God is calling us toward. God has extended his grace and he's drawing you near to himself by his son, by his spirit, to return to him that which you and I have been created for. Worship. Well, I, I do think that there is a better definition, though, of communion with God. It's, it's thorough. It's more drawn out. And I do believe that we, if we really want to understand accurately what it means to have communion with God, there is one that we need to consult. God. God will tell us what God means when he calls us to communion with himself. The perfect interpreter, obviously, of the Holy Scriptures is none other than the Holy Spirit. Chapter 1. Simon Peter, a bond servant of the Apostle Jesus Christ. Okay, here we go. To those who have received a faith ah, of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace multiply to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. Seeing that here it is, his divine nature, I'm sorry, his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by this he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers, listen to this, of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, Supply moral excellence and in your moral excellence, knowledge and in your knowledge, self-control and in your self-control, perseverance and in your perseverance, godliness and in your godliness, brotherly kindness and in your brotherly kindness, love for if all these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind. Or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the kingdom, eternal kingdom of the Lord and G- Savior Jesus Christ, will abundantly, abundantly be supplied to you. Whew. That is communion with God. The divine nature has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His glory and excellence. Through this calling into the new life, we have been given the precious gift of being partakers of the divine nature. Pastor Isaiah has been saying divine nature. We are partakers of divine nature. The divine life, He's been saying. That's the scriptures. God lives in me, and I live in Him. That's the Scriptures. Paul said, I am no longer my own. It is Christ who lives in me. We are no longer being corrupted by the communion of the world. But we are now communing with Christ, escaping the lust of the world. And by faith and communion with God, we are living morally excellent lives. That's holiness. We are living holy lives before God. We are growing in knowledge, which results in self-control, saying no to sin, preserving, persevering, having godliness, being found to love the brethren. Living that kind of life makes us fruitful before God. Love for the church is a fruitful life. It's grounded in communion with God. If you lack these things, though, you're blind. You have no communion with God. You are short-sighted. But if these things are found in you, then you have communion with God and you are a part of his kingdom. And Christ supplies all these things for his elect. That's communion with God. Why are you here this morning? Communion with God. Why will you this afternoon spend time in prayer and reading his word? Because you are in Christ. Why will you spend the rest of this week turning away from sin? Because you commune with Christ. You are in fellowship with him. God, I pray that you seek a deeper uh, fellowship communion with God. Secondly, communion with God is prescribed. Communion with God prescribed. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and verse 18, For this is God's will for your life in Christ Jesus. It is God's prescribed will that his creatures commune and fellowship with him. That they would enjoy fellowship with him. It is the will of God that we live in this manner. You might be wondering, what does communion with God or fellowship with God have to do with these verses here that we've been reading in 1 Thessalonians? I wonder if you would consider the activities that we are commanded to do. We are commanded to rejoice. We are commanded to pray. And we are commanded to give thanks. Joy, prayer, and thanksgiving. They also are not abstract. It's not something that does not really exist. We are not joyful for nothing. We are not praying to the sky. We don't give thanks for no reason. They are all God-centered. We pray to God. We are rejoicing in Christ. Uh, We give thanks for the work of the Spirit. We are called to rejoice in God. Pray to God. Give thanks to God. These are all God-related activities. Those who obey those commands experience communion with God. These commands constitute communion with God. Notice that it is God who invites us to this communion. It is God's will that we should rejoice. God's will that we should pray. God's will that we should give thanks. Brothers and sisters, the soul of man needs God just as much as the body needs food. God commands us to participate in these activities because we are in need of God. You need God this morning. You need God tomorrow. You need God throughout the rest of your week and throughout the rest of your life. You and I need God. And you need God more than you realize that you need God. I need God more than I realize that I need God. God has directed us toward those means whereby we might enjoy communion with him. Our children, Uh, they are not aware of just how important it is for them to have a healthy diet and rest. If you were to leave it up to them, go into the grocery store, eat and buy anything that you like. What would they most likely uh, come strolling down the aisle with filled with their what would be filled? What would their shopping carts be filled with everything that they should not be eating? They don't realize just how important it is for them to have a healthy diet. Do your your children love when it's bedtime? My son, who's eight, hates when it's bedtime. You mean I need to go to sleep? I can't just stay up for the rest of my life and never sleep? Our children do not realize just how important healthy diet and rest is for them. They don't realize how important it is for them to to take a bath, to brush their teeth, We know that they need these things better than they realize. God knows that we need him better than we realize. God gives us these commands so that we can enjoy fellowship and communion with him because we need that more than we realize. How many times do you go throughout your week? I haven't prayed. How many times do you go throughout your week? I haven't even read God's word. How many times do you go throughout your week? I haven't even been thinking about sharing the gospel with anybody haven't been saying no to sin. Brothers and sisters, we need communion with God more than we realize. Our souls need God. If we attempt to go throughout our life without communion with God, we will be spiritually weak. The psalmist says, my soul thirsts for you. my, My soul pans for you. It longs for you, he says. He is aware that he is unable to survive without God. Could this body live? Sure, of course your body can live. But the psalmist sees his spiritual life as being even more vitally important than his own body. My soul needs God. Yeah, your body, your bodies can survive. But your bodies will eventually die and be raised to be judged with your soul if you do not have God. The devotional life of the Christian is continual communion with God. We'll talk about devotional life next week. About how we kind of slot devotions into 15-20 minutes of our day. And that's my devotion. We'll talk more. That's an American ethos. Not a Christian ethos. We'll talk about that more next week. Number three. These are going to start to get shorter and quicker. Communion through union with God. Communion with God through union with God. In order to have communion with God, one must be united or Uh, In union with Christ. You cannot have communion with God if you are not united to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. How is that possible? By grace, through faith, in the perfect righteousness of Christ alone. This union with Christ is a, listen to this, monergistic work. That is, it is the work of one. Not the work of you and God. It's the work of one. It is monergistic, monogistic It is the act of God, the act of God's divine grace that calls, continually binds, and applies all the benefits of Christ to those who have been called by his grace. This is the effectual call. And through this effectual call of God, we are regenerated. Uh, We are given new hearts. We are converted. Given godly sorrow over our sin that leads to repentance. Faith in the person and work of Christ. And we are justified. By the work of the Spirit, we are sanctified. And we have a promise that our faith in Christ shall never bring us to shame. And that he is bringing many sons to glory. So that just as the Son was glorified, so too we who have placed our faith in Christ shall be glorified. That's union and communion with God. For the saints of God, those who have been foreknown and foreloved, this union with Christ is an eternally binding one. You are eternally united to Christ. You will never be separated from Him. It's a relationship that cannot be changed. Once in Christ, one cannot be outside of Christ. And you're not in Christ by words. You are in Christ by faith. And faith is evidenced by the life that you live in holy love before God, which we'll get to in a moment. We are forever the adopted sons and daughters of God through Christ. Number four, communion is fueled by love. What fuels your desire to commune with God? Just being good for goodness sake? Because you won't get on Santa's list? Or, or to appease your wife? To appease your husband? To make sure that you don't go back to jail? To make sure that you stay out of jail? So that you will be impressive to your friends and neighbors? What fuels your communion with God? The answer should be love. Why do I seek to have communion with God? Because I love Him. Why do I seek to pray? Because I love Him. Why do I come to His word? Because I love Him. Love should be the fuel that, that, that uh, flames, uh, sparks your communion with God. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew 22, 37, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And if you love me, you will keep my commands. Love is what fuels your desire for communion with God. One may say, "But it, but it does not seem as though I love him like I should, and like I know that I should. Uh, dear pilgrim, there is no one who loves God as they should. There is no one who loves God perfectly. Let me say to you, not even when you feel as though you could not love him more. You still don't love him. I still don't love him as I should. I am still lacking. Even when I feel I could not love him more, I could still love him more. Only Christ has loved God with all of his heart, his soul, and his mind. And yet... It is the love that God has shown us that continually draws us to love Him. 1 John 4.19 We love. Why? Why do we love? Because He first loved us. Your love for God is not rooted and grounded in your love. It's rooted and grounded in His love. Because He loved you, you can love Him. Because He loves you, you are drawn to Him to love Him. You keep coming back because He keeps drawing you back. You keep opening your word and hitting your knees in prayer and loving your neighbor because He's working within you. But because He first loved you, God has demonstrated His love in this way. He gave His son. That just at the right time, when we were dead in our sins, God sends His Son, the righteous for the unrighteous. What fuels your love for Christ, Christ's love for you? We'll talk more about this in a moment. What is evidence of your love and communion with God? Number five, communion is celebrated by obedience. Communion is celebrated by obedience. Notice the wording at this point. Communion is celebrated by obedience. Why do you obey? Out of duty? Well, yes. But your obedience is a command that is rooted in the love that God has for you. That Christ has given himself for you. The righteous for the unrighteous. You and I were under the judgment of God. And God mercifully, mercifully gave to us his son. And then calls us to follow him. always we say, well, thanks for saving me, but I think I'll go my own way now. What do those, uh, we see these examples in the scriptures often, of Christ healing people. And oftentimes we see that after they've been healed, they are following Christ and praising Christ. uh, Yelling out, Hosanna, praise be to God, blessed be the Son of David. Why are they following? They are celebrating new life. You and I were only bound to sin before. You and I only knew sin. You and I only pursued sin. It was the the desire of our hearts. And God, by His grace, has given us new desires to love Him. And if we really love Him, then we will keep His commands. Jesus says in John 14, 21, Whoever has my commands and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. This is the doxological life that we've been talking about. It's the the type of celebration of new life. What do we do when a baby is born? We celebrate the baby. God has given us new life. You've been given a new life. What do you do with it? You give it back to the one who gave it to you. And what does he require of you? He tells you in his word. Each one of you has been brought from darkness to light. You and I can say like the man who was born blind, I once was blind, but now I see. We were dead. We were blind. We were paralyzed. We were lepers who leapt for joy after being restored, following Christ with a celebration of new life. Paul commands us in in Romans 6.13, Present yourselves to God. As those who have been brought from death to life. And the members of God. Or members of your body to God. As instruments of righteousness. Uh, Dear pilgrims. Remember. Recall when you were wandering in darkness. Recall when light was shown upon you. Recall when you were in your tomb dead. Recall when the bandages of death were, were removed from your body. Recall when you were given faith to believe. Recall when you began to hate your sin as God hates it. Recall when you suddenly had a desire for God's Word. Hey, remember when you wanted to read the whole Bible. Remember when you wanted to know every single thing about the Word of God. Remember when you first came to church and you were so excited you, you were here early. Oh my gosh. You even went to classes that we had before church. You were excited to know anything and everything about God, his word, his church. Have you lost the desire to celebrate? Is there no longer need for celebration? Don't those recollections, even as I was saying them, I can see some of your eyes closing and remembering and recalling. Don't those recollections draw out of you a celebration? Don't they move your heart to have a heartfelt love for God again? Don't they motivate you to have communion with God? We'll get to this in maybe a few months or so. But in the book of Revelation, we don't want to be that church that has left its first love. And we don't want to be that church that is lukewarm. Who are you? I think the next point is connected to this, and it is that sin, sin impedes our communion with God. Dear pilgrims, while obedience to Christ out of love improves our communion with God, it improves our intimacy with Him, sin can interrupt that sweet intimacy. Sin can interrupt that sweet communion that we have with God. In a similar way that that in a marriage, the covenant can be hindered when one acts out of sin. So too, our communion with God is hindered or suffered or suffers when we fail to demonstrate our true allegiance to Him in the covenant that He's made with us of redemption when we willfully sin, when we pursue sin, brothers and sisters, we chip away at the communion that we have with Christ. 1 John 1.6, if we say that we have fellowship with Him, I'm a Christian. I love God. While we walk in darkness, then we lie and do not practice the truth. Brothers and sisters, ask God to help you hate sin. To hate sin as he hates sin. Ask God to help you to put sin to death before sin puts you to death. Remember, just as you have been made alive together with Christ, you've also been baptized together with him in his death. We are no longer bound to the corruption of our flesh because of the work of Christ. Our old selves have died to sin. We've been buried with Christ. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ. When you were in darkness, sin was your and my goal. It was our satisfaction. It was the purpose for our lives. Now, you are in the light. So walk as children of the light. Live to glorify God, not the flesh. The Son and the Spirit dwell within you. You have been loved by the Father. Spurgeon said, I said this a few weeks ago, learn to say no to sin. And it will be more valuable to you than learning the language of Greek and Latin. Learn the language of saying no to sin. Seven, communion reinvigorated by repentance. Brothers and sisters, when we sin, we distort our communion with Christ. But when we truly repent, not just with words, but with seeking forgiveness coupled with an active turning away from sin and turning to Christ, our communion with God is reinvigorated. It's restored. First John 1 John 1.8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Christ can forgive you. Christ will forgive you. What must you do? Repent. Not just with words. Not just with sorrow. But turn to Christ and live. Love. Obey Him. (coughs) We must make repentance, brothers and sisters, a normal part of our Christian lives. This is communion with God. We have repented. We are repentant and we are repenting. As we've said before, none of us love God perfectly as we should. We all fail in a variety of ways. Therefore, we must daily confess our sins, knowing that we have committed sins or maybe that we have ignorantly committed sins, knowingly, unknowingly committed sins. Every day, come to God, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Be specific. And Lord, if there's something that I have not done or done that I did not know of, that I was unaware of, please forgive me of that as well. Lord, I need your grace. And how wonderful it is to know that God is faithful. That God has forgiven our sins, will forgive our sins, past, present, and future. When we repent, the blessed evidence that we are in communion with God is that we live a life that shows that we are truly repentant. You know, the little ones who uh, reach for something and they keep doing it. I'm sorry, mom. My, my daughter actually is like that. She'll say, sorry, dad. Sorry, dad. And she'll say, sorry, dad. as she's doing the thing that I told her not to do. Sorry, dad. Sorry. Well, brother and sisters, sometimes we do that when we sin, don't we? Sorry, God. God, I'm so sorry. God, I'm sorry. Wow, we're committing the sin. That's not repentance. That's knowingly rebelling against God knowing that you will be punished for it and hoping that God will not give to you that which you deserve the blessed evidence that we are truly repentant is that we turn from sin that we turn from sin does that mean that we will live a life of of perfection? no you will only be perfected when you are glorified but brothers and sisters we should be turning away from sin more and more not increasing our turning to sin increasing our, our turning from sin Listen to our confession, uh, LBC 18.3. And though they, through the temptation, listen, this is the believer, this is the believer, though they, the believer, through the temptation of Satan and of the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them, remaining sin, and the neglect of the means of their perser- per- preservation fall into grievous sins. Neglecting the means of your preservation, that's the means of Grace. When you neglect the means of grace, the word of God, the Lord's Supper, prayer, baptism, when you neglect the gathering of the saints, you will fall into diverse sins. Stay away from the gathering of the saints long enough. You will find yourself in situations that you would not find yourself if you were in communion with God going on. And for a time continue there continue in sin, whereby they incur God's displeasure and grieve his Holy Spirit, come to have their graces and comforts impaired, have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded, hurt and scandalize others, bring temporal judgments upon themselves. Yet, after all of these things, yet they shall renew their repentance and be preserved through faith in Christ to the end. How is this so? Because once you are in the hand of God, you will never be snatched out. Once you are in the hands of God, Christ says, "I will not lose and have not lost one. There is not one that Christ has died for that Christ will lose, otherwise Christ has failed. He will bring all his sons to glory. He will save them to the uttermost. To God be the glory for that. Is't that encouraging? Because from the point that we just dealt with, we sin, we fail, we fall. Why are you still here? Because you are being kept. You are being preserved. You are in the hand of God and you will not be snatched out. Not Satan and all the forces of hell will be able to snatch you out of the Father's hand. To God be the glory. Let us beware when we no longer then confess our sins. Let us beware then when we are no longer repentant. Let us beware when we are no longer moved by our willful or ignorant disobedience. Number eight, we're almost there. Hang in there. Two more. Communion is grounded in faith in Christ and commitment to his word. When I first met my lovely wife, I gradually began to know more about her. The more I knew about her, the more I began to realize that I loved her. It was progressive. The more I learned, the more I love. But learning came first. Not love. It was the same for her, unfortunately. Unfortunately for her, it was not love at first sight. Uh, Who can blame her, right? She had to learn. It took her a lot longer to learn for whatever reason. Uh, I learned one week, bam, for her, it took like two years. Uh, She learned and then she loved. Is it the same with our love and communion with God? Do we learn first? Is communion with God first based upon knowledge? Well, yes and no. What is it that brought you to love God? What's the means that God used to bring you to himself? The gospel. You heard the gospel. Right? It is, as Paul says in Romans, the power of God unto salvation. It is the means by which God powerfully and effectually draws his sheep to himself. But at the hearing of the gospel, something happened before even a word came out of your mouth. If you believed, you were given a new heart. So there is this simultaneous thing happening of knowing, understanding, but you are only able to understand because God opens your minds to know. How many times have you shared the gospel with someone and they go, I just don't get it. That makes sense to me. And you're like, I I, I didn't even make this one up. I actually read this one the way it's supposed to be said. And they still don't get it. Why don't they get it? Because it's a supernatural gift from God. Only God can open the minds of his elect only God can open the minds of His sheep. Only the sheep of God hear His voice. So there's a hearing, a knowing, and then a, a heart, a heart longing for what is being said. You are learning at the same time that you are loving. They are happening at the same time. You're given new minds to understand. You're given a new heart with desires that long, as the deer, for communion with God. So there is information given, but it's supernatural that can only be understood by someone who loves God. And you can only love God if God allows you to love Him. It's not a merely a two times two equals four. It's not that kind of information. It's the evangel. It's the gospel, the good news. And we are only able to joyfully, from our hearts, receive this good news because of this infused grace by the Spirit of God. We love Because we've been empowered to love. And what do we do with that love? We increase in knowledge of the one who first loved us. As we increase in knowledge of God, what happens as we increase in understanding of God? Or I should say knowledge of God. How should... What happens to us? Love increases. We are called to love God with our hearts. uh, To use all of our strength and and put forth effort to know Him with what? our minds and this will require work a lot more work than just reading a a daily bread every other day it will require you to know his word brothers and sisters do you read God's word do you read and this is this is in no way shape or form to put down the proverbs or the psalms do you read anything other than the proverbs or the psalms though it's all God's word do you read anything other than that God has graciously revealed himself to us in his word. Do you want to know him? Prove it. We don't get to just say, yeah, I want to know him. I really, really do. Okay. And then live the rest of our week not making any pursuits, any steps toward God. Do you want to know him? How do you show that? How do you show that you really want to know God? The will of God for his creatures is to commune with him, to, to know his plan of redemption. To understand the blessed covenant that he's made that will not fail. To know the, we know the plans and futures of God, future of God. In his word, it's all there. Do you study, read his word? Or is everything else more a priority? And if that's so, then maybe you are not at least making the efforts to commune with God that God is calling you to ask yourself this can i do better if i sincerely want to commune with god are there are there parts of my life that maybe i'm neglecting or not giving over to god and if so give them to god give them to god increase in your understanding i sent to the men the other night at like midnight thanks for anthony for responding and isaiah the only two night owls <laughs> I sent to them the ancient creeds, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Chalcedonian Creed, the Athanasian Creed. Know the creeds. Know what the church has confessed in all of its history. Know what's orthodox. Know what's true. Read good theological books, the books that will help you to learn more about our triune God and the way that we are to live before Him. Read books that will help you better commune with God. Do they need to all be reformed books? No. They don't. They should be books, though, that are in line with orthodoxy. Don't read Paula White or uh, Kenneth Copeland or Jesse Duplantis, and I can go on and on and on. Don't get me going on that road because we'll never stop. Those are books that are heresy. Read books that are orthodox. Do you want deeper communion with God? That's going to take effort. It's going to take work. Some may say, I just don't have time. You don't have time. You have time. I have, I just have enough time for myself. That's the problem. You're in the way. It's too much of you. Maybe if you had more of God, you would see yourself a little bit clearer. God is calling you further beyond without leaving behind. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. I say further without leaving behind. We never believe, leave behind the gospel. We carry that lovely truth with us into this garden of theology and doxology. Number nine. Hang in there. This one's, the last one's even the shortest one. Communion evidenced by love and service. Over and over again, we are commanded to love. How do you know that you love? You serve. How do you know that you love? love is evidenced by service. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the apostle is uh, reprimanding those who have superior knowledge. They are those who uh, were putting down new believers who were eating food that was sacrificed to idols. And Paul was reprimanding them because they were using their superior knowledge to reprimand but also reprimand almost reprimand as being a stumbling block to new believers new believers were feeling as though they were unworthy of being christians because they did not know what those who had superior knowledge knew so paul's response to them is this hey guys knowledge makes one conceited but love edifies or builds up people if anyone thinks they know anything he's not yet known what he ought to know But if anyone loves God, He's known by God. You have knowledge, here's the way you use it. Love and serve. There would have been a gentler, kinder, more winsome way to help these new believers than turning them completely away. Communion is evidenced by love and service to God. God defines for us what love is then too. We don't get to define what love is, brothers and sisters. There's a popular phrase going on today, and I've heard someone say it close to me before. Uh, love is love. Love is not love. Meaning this, no matter how it looks, if you love, no one gets to tell you that it's not love. Love is love. And it's it's a movement by the LGBTQRSUV community. That they get to define what love is and how it's seen. Not so. We do not get to define what love is. God defines for us what love is. God determines what right love is and what wrong, what is not love. God gives us a right understanding of what love is. And it's not mindless. It's informed. Love knows. Uh, Love is patient. It's kind. It's not jealous. It's not bragging. It's not arrogant. It's not unbecoming. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The one who claims to be in Christ loves and serves. Communion is the result of the reconciliation that we have in Christ. We are ministers of reconciliation. Therefore, we are servants of Christ. We share this good news with all who hear and in the church. We see how we can love one another. And we do so by service. Last and not least, communion with God is tested. Communion with God is tested. A servant is not greater than his master. They persecuted me. They will also persecute you, Christ says. Your and my communion will be tested. It will be tested through fire to reveal its genuineness. Not so that God knows whether or not you're true. So that you know whether or not You are really in the faith. We have two options if we are true believers. If we're true believers, we can suffer and complain with cold hearts toward God, blame God for for all the things that did not go right in our lives, blame God for all the things that we prayed for but didn't get, We can complain and be dissatisfied with His divine providences in our lives, or we can learn to lean into our communion with God. We can cry out to Him We can lean upon Him, depend upon Him. Trust that He works all things together for those who love Him. We can always rejoice. We can, without ceasing, pray. We can, in everything, give thanks. Not for everything, but in everything. Give thanks. And when we do, our communion with God will be deepened. And our love for God will be widened. Oh, the the length and the breadth and the depth of the love of God for his people. Don't you want to know how deep his love is for you? Don't you want to know how wide his love is for you? Commune with him then. Next week, we'll actually get back into 1 Thessalonians, into the text, and deal with rejoicing as a way of communing with God. Let's pray.